Okay, VBS, of course, we're studying the flood. Uh, last night, uh, we discussed uh, the world, uh, both the kind of uh, how the world uh, could possibly have been before the flood, uh, some different aspects of it physically, uh, but we also talked about the spiritual condition of the world and what led man uh, to get in that spiritual state uh, from the time of Adam and Eve until the time of the flood, which uh, uh, we uh, kind of alluded to Genesis chapter 5, that uh, as you go through the genealogies would place the earth about 1,656 years of age from the time of uh, creation until you got to the time of the flood. So we see man's decline uh, during that. Uh, during that period in different states, especially as we see in Genesis chapter 6, about verse 14 or so and following, of how uh, man's thoughts were evil continuously. Um, and that phrase still just stuns me that, you know, uh, individuals could get in such a state where, you know, it was like that continuously, such a, a violent uh, world at that time. Uh, and we talked about some things, how that applies today. Uh, of course, one, one thing with the uh, number of Christians, uh, those that are serving God, that uh, lives in this world, that is in darkness, there is some light or shining. Matthew five sixteen, let your light so shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And I hope that that's what we continue to do. Uh, tonight, we're going to be looking at the man. Uh, I got to go behind my back. Oh, there it was. Mm, you may have done it. I didn't do it. I don't think. Mm. Mm -hmm. I can do what John says. You want me to sing and dance a little while till we? Oh, there we go. The man. Uh. We're going to look at Noah. Um, when you think about Noah, you know, we think about his age. Uh, you know, what is it, about 600 years old when the floodwaters came? You think Noah looked like that? <laughs> I say if he built the ark, he was probably, probably a pretty tough fella. But when you think about Noah and you think about his life, and we're going to discuss Noah tonight, I think there's some things in which maybe we don't think about quite as much. Think about for instance when you uh when you think about great books that are written or great movies especially nowadays with the movies and all of those they they have kind of a recurring theme you've got an individual that rises up that has a a um, moral fortitude that's that's greater than anyone else that rises up above anyone else and they they do things, they, they look out, they, they protect, they save their families, they may save communities, they may save the world. Uh, you see movies, you know, uh, all the way back to even John Wayne, you know, a, a Western hero. You know, there's always a hero that rises up today. You've got the Marvel movies, Iron Man, or and then you've got Superman on one side. You've got all these other heroes that come about. You always see this, this one person that always wants to do the right thing, that rises up above everybody else, that actually inspires other people to want to do better. You know, that, that's one good thing when you think about a hero. A hero just doesn't 
um, they're not just great themselves, but they inspire other people to want to be better. Um, so when we think about when it comes to a hero, the Bible lays out a lot of different uh, heroes throughout history. Throughout, uh, uh, from the time of creation on, we see different characters in the Bible that rise up above everybody else. Well, of course, that brings us to Noah. Not only to Noah, but to Noah's perfection. And that's one thing I want us to start to deal with tonight, first and foremost. Because uh, I thought about this a lot when it, it talked about uh, the perfection of Noah. If you look in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now there's two things here that I think can be a little intimidating. Notice it says, Noah was a just man. Of course, uh, the Bible says that about a lot of individuals, a lot of Bible characters. But he says, perfect in his generations, Noah walked with God. Perfect in his generations. Now think about that. When we think about Noah being perfect, uh, because I think we use the word perfect sometimes uh, in kind of a misleading way. When we think about perfect, if you were to make a perfect score on a test, how many answers did you miss? None. You didn't miss any because you made a perfect score. Uh, if, if we think about a perfect individual, who would we think about? Jesus. Think about Jesus. We think perfect equals sinless, don't we? So when we think about perfect, and we use perfect in a lot of different ways today, and when we think about an individual specifically, of course we think about Jesus. So when it says Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation... Did that mean that Noah was perfect? Does perfect equal sinless? So let's think about this. In Genesis 9, 20 through 21, just a few chapters after, uh, you know, when the flood took place, Noah was found in a, a drunken state exposed. You look in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Did they all include Noah? Was Noah included in the all, or was Noah except from that? Was Noah in the same category as Jesus? Well, of course not. So when we think about Noah, I think it's, it's important that we think about that word perfection. Does perfection, does it mean sinless? For example, if I were to ask you, which of these circles is a perfect circle? Now, if we used it in terms like we use today, we would think perfect circle is perfect in all the angles it's perfectly round and it connects perfectly in in each way it's 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 just flawless that's what we think of flawless but that's not how the bible uses perfect perfect doesn't mean flawless and i think it's important that we understand that we've got to understand that perfect means complete uh it means uh that, one, we're perfect because God makes us perfect. We can be perfect by walking in the light as He is in the light, of course. But perfect doesn't mean flawless. But if perfect means complete, perfect means mature, if we look at it in terms of that, maturity, we could say every one of these circles is perfect because they're complete. I can freehand a, a circle and it be perfect as long as it's complete. For example, I say I've got a car for sale. This car is perfect. It gets you exactly where you need to go every time you need to go there. If it serves its purpose, if it's, if it's complete in that it will get you from point A to point B, now that car could have some dings on it. It could have some flaws in it. It could have 200,000 miles on it. But if it does what it's supposed to do, is that a perfect car? 
Well, in the terms in which I think the, the Bible uses it, I think exactly, just like all three of these circles here, I think could be a perfect circle in the ways in which the Bible describes it. Look how James says it. James chapter 1 and verse 4, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So as Christians, we need to understand that this concept of, of, of perfect doesn't mean that we're sinless. It doesn't mean that we're flawless. Because we all have flaws. There's only one perfect individuals that ever, ever, individual that ever walked the face of this earth. Noah wasn't him. I'm not him. You're, you're not that person. So when the Bible says we can be complete, that we, but let patience have its perfect work, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, that's what it's talking about. It's complete. It's that maturity level. It's that maturity, not flawlessness. And I think before we study Noah and we think about Noah, we have to look at it from those terms. Because here's what happens if we don't. If we don't, I think there's a couple reasons we have to look at it like this. One is, if we don't, we're going to distance ourselves from Noah. Now what do we mean by that? The reason we, I think we'll distance ourselves from Noah is, we'll look and say, yeah, I can see why uh, God picked Noah he was perfect. He was flawless. He was superhuman. God gave him all of these uh, abilities. You know, it, it's not like me. I couldn't do that. God's not going to come tap me on the shoulder and put me on the team of saving the world. He, he's not going to do that because I'm not like Noah. So we want to we want to distance ourselves from Noah because we will look at it and say, I'm not that good of a person. God wouldn't choose me. Because and so we look at it that. Well, the reason Noah was able to do that because he was some special human being. That, that he had some, you know, we, we kind of think of that as like our superheroes in the movie. Noah was some Iron Man or something, or he's some Superman or something like that. So we want to distance ourselves and think, I can't be like that, so God won't ever ask me to do something. And I think it, it, it does ourselves a disservice to uh, distance ourselves. Um, I think when you think of Noah in terms of being flawless, I guess, if you will, uh, then we, we'll never measure up to that. But if we think of Noah as being complete as the Bible, or perfect as the Bible says it, complete, mature, uh, I think we could describe him as Noah was a good man, he was a just man, took care of his family, uh, I think he was a hard worker. I think he was honest. I think he did what he could for those that are around him. I think he served God to the very best of his ability. Would that make him perfect? I think that's what made him just and perfect in, in God's eyes. You know, if we, we looked at it as, as terms of today, what if, what if God was to describe one of us? Could he describe one of us as perfect? You know, you've got... Uh, uh, Brother John over there, he works in Cookville. He works at a factory. He works hard at, at his job. He, uh, uh, he, he treats people around him well. He, he spreads the name of Jesus every time he can to his co-workers and those that are around him. He, he, he serves the church regularly, you know, and, and worships regularly. He looks for avenues to serve. Uh, he prays regularly. He does these kind of good things. Could that be said the same thing? See, Noah was just a human being. Noah wasn't some superhuman being. Noah was a human being. Noah was a human being that followed God. So if we were to put this in modern terms, would God say something about us like that? I think if we think of perfect, per, 
we think of Noah as perfect, I think we would distance ourselves and we would think, yeah, that's, that's just a Bible story. That's just some, some great individual who could do superhuman things. And I think we're going to see tonight that that wasn't the case at all. So when it says that Noah was a just man, he was perfect in his generations, um, I think we need to understand what that means and understand that as we study Noah and try to put it in terms like we have today. Um, what else? Well, I, I think if we don't think, if we think of perfect as just mature and complete, and, and we, instead of that, we think of it as being flawless, what will happen? I think we won't make ourselves available for doing good work. See, that's one thing about Noah. He walked with God. He was a person that, that God could look and could count on to get the job done. So if we want to distance ourselves from Noah and think, well, he was perfect and I'm not, you know, we, we'll think we'll be in the background. God won't never ask us to do anything, and we won't ever do anything. We won't look for opportunities to do anything. And I think that's what happens sometimes. We, we, we set a very low standard sometimes for ourselves as Christians. I had a gentleman tell me one time, I, I was asking him to do something, uh, at a congregation one time, he said, no, I don't want to do that. If I do that, they'll ask me to do something else. And then if they ask me to do something else, they'll ask me to do something else. It's better just not do anything. Individuals won't ask. See, I think we set the bar pretty low sometimes, don't we? We, we don't understand that uh, there, there's all kinds of things that we could be involved in. There's all kinds of things that we can do. I don't, I don't have to be some uh, superhuman person to do that. I can be just an average individual. Look at all the individuals that God has used over, over uh, time to do His will. I mean, we could go up to Moses. Remember all the excuses that Moses gave? I, I, I'm not good at speech. I, I can't go and do this. I can't. You know, he gave all these excuses there in, uh, what is it, Exodus chapter 3 going into chapter 4. He gives all these excuses of why he couldn't do anything. And God tells him, I know what you are. I made you. I know exactly what you are. I know what you're able to do, and the things you're not able to do, I'll send somebody to help you do it. And he sent Aaron to him. All, all through the ages, you, you look at Paul, and the, all the writings that we have of him through inspiration, all the work that he done. Uh, he even says himself, he wasn't some great person. He even considered himself the chief of sinners. You know, he, he wasn't very eloquent in his own words. He, he wasn't very elegant, even though Peter said, you know, some Paul's writings hard to understand. He wasn't that clear on things. So God can use a lot of different people to do his will. We don't have to be some superhuman. I think we just have to be one thing, and that's obedient. If we're obedient to God and we have that mindset that we're going to be obedient, then God can use us. It doesn't have to be some great thing. There's a lot of great things that are done in congregations a lot of times that nobody ever knows it was done. But it serves its purpose. It has to be done. I can remember being at a place one time after a gentleman had passed away and we were sitting in a meeting talking and there was a whole list of things that wouldn't get done. And they're like, how come this just stopped like that? I said, because he was the one doing all of this. Nobody ever knew it. I live close to the church building. I'd go over there. I'd say, a light on. I said, somebody left the light on. Went over there, and he's changing light bulbs, or he's draining the baptistry. And this would be like 1 o'clock in the morning. You know, we don't realize what people do. We don't realize the, and you say, well, that's not much. Well, somebody's got to do it, don't they? 
You know, they're, they're, but there's someone willing to do it. See, I don't have to look and say, since I can't be this, I can't do this. See, we want to separate ourselves and never give ourselves a chance to do this here. But we've got to realize, Noah wasn't doing it by himself, was he? He had instruction from God to do it. And if I've got instruction from God to do it, that means I'm able to do it because God said I'm able to do it. I can't give him any excuses for it. So before we really talk about Noah, I think we've got to realize I can't separate myself from him and think he's some superhuman being because what will happen is I won't make myself available to do anything. Because I think, well, who am I? I'm just some simple-minded person. Yeah, but I serve a, a greater God, don't you? And with serving a greater God, I can accomplish great things. So what was Noah's uh, claim to fame, I guess? Noah's obedience training. I think that's what it's all about. I think it's all about obedience. I think it's all about following authority. Take, for example, the military. If I was to join the military, what's the first place I go to? Basic training. You'll go to boot camp for what, about six weeks? What do you learn in boot camp? You learn to shine your shoes. You learn to take apart and put apart a gun. You learn to make a bed you flip a quarter off of. You learn to uh, stand up straight. You learn to salute. You learn to, yes sir, no sir. You learn to say that in a lot. A lot of little trivial things, don't you? You know, you, you learn all these things, and I'm sure you don't enjoy all those things. I, I sure, I, I've talked with individuals that's gone through boot camp, and they said, you know, especially just starting out, it was just a lot of little trivial things. Well, think about it. Is boot camp about shining shoes? You know, I don't care what Barney said, that old uh, 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 German shoulder, uh, soldier used to say, that you got to shine the back of your shoes because that's the last thing somebody sees of you. The army don't care about your shoes being shined. It's not about that. It's not about making your bed to have those perfect corners. It's about following instructions to the T. Getting you used to following those instructions. That's what Noah had. Noah had this obedience training to where he, he had to know to follow God to the letter of what he said. It's about humbling yourselves and being obedient. Now it doesn't take a, a genius to follow orders, does it? It doesn't take some superhuman person to follow orders. It takes someone that's willing to humble themselves and follow the instructions of what somebody else says. And I tell you, the problem is, there's not a lot of people that's willing to do that. You know, when Jesus, when he washed the disciples' feet, was it because he stood there and said, you know, their feet's dirty, I've got to wash their feet. That's just awful. Was it really about washing feet? Was it really because they were dirty? It was about showing humility. It's about showing service. And so if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to humble yourselves, then if you're willing to humble yourselves, then you're going to be willing to follow instructions. You're going to be willing to recognize authority. And friends, you can't be a servant of God without recognizing authority. You just can't do it. I mean, there, there, there's that, that's what our faith is. Our faith is following Him, having faith in Him, trusting that He will follow through with what he says to do, so I trust him to follow him in the things in which we do. And I think that's what Noah did. So let's look at some instructions here of what Noah followed. It says, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. 
And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits. It's uh, height 30 cubits. You shall make a window uh, for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to, uh, to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. Thus Noah did. Now, if we look at the life of Noah, we see a man whose boot camp, it, it lasted considerably longer than, than six weeks. But you see this in, these instructions that God gives him. You've got to be a person that is humble enough and willing enough to follow those instructions. Because that's a pretty major deal. If you don't follow instructions here, the consequence is pretty devastating. You know, it's, it, it, it's going to be pretty bad. You, you think about going into war that, that uh, the military has to do, all these soldiers have to do, and you think about what they go through in boot camp, all those little trivial things that you may think, well, well what does that matter? What does it matter that I do this? Well, it matters about humbling yourself, being able to follow authority, being able to listen, and be able to do what you need to do when you need to do it without thinking about it, without second-guessing it, because your life may depend upon it. Did Noah's life depend on it? Well, absolutely it did. Not only his, his family did. So his life depended upon him following the instructions of what God gave him. Now, when we think about those instructions, though, again, we may think, well, well, Noah's some superhuman. He had all these special gifts, or God wouldn't have chosen him. It wouldn't have been any problem for him uh, to build the ark. So when we think about all this that he has to do, let's think about something. Let's think about first Noah's obedience that was physically demanding. Think about what it would have took to do the things that he did. Um, I think it would be physically demanding. I think it would be hard uh, to do some of the things to, to construct what he did. I mean, think about it. He, he had to go get the trees. He had to be able to cut the tree down. I don't know what kind of tools he used. I, I don't think he used a chainsaw. I don't think. I don't know. He may have invented one. I don't know. That's the great thing I think about this whole, this whole incident is God didn't tell him one tool to use, did he? He told him the instructions to do it. Now, he may have gave him other instructions that's not recorded here, but the instructions that he gave him is, here's the dimensions, here's what I say to do it, and do it. So how did he do it? How, how, physically, how did he do it? He had to go get the tree. He had to cut the trees down. He had to plane the trees. He had to get you know, the wood down to make lumber and to figure out how to get them on there uh, securely to be able to do that. What about pitch? It was pitch within, without. How did he make that? 
you know, I, I was kind of researching some things about pitch because I'll be honest, I, there's a lot of this I didn't know a lot. And there's a lot of scientists that say he couldn't have possibly done it because he didn't have the oil or the coal to make pitch from. But is that all that you need to make pitch? Can you make pitch from wood? As I was looking about this, that's exactly how they did before that. But as I was looking at this, they get it from, they would extract it from pine trees. They go in and extract all the, uh, uh, the resin from it. And as they extract the resin from it, then they bury the tree. They bury it with soil or put something over it and let it slowly decay where it would make this black ash like charcoal. And they'd use the powder from the charcoal to actually heat up and mix with the resin, and it would make a tar-like substance, and that's what pitch was. And I got to thinking about that when I was at uh, uh, the planer mill, worked at the planer mill in South Carolina. Uh, there was a guy that always wanted to come over, and he, he wanted to get the little pieces we cut off that had fat lighter in it. You ever heard of fat lighter? They called it fat lighter there. You know what it was? It was all the resin that was in the little boards. He'd use it, and it'd be a fire starter for it. He'd get the resin out of it and use those boards. He called it fat lighter. I didn't know what it was. It smelled good, and I'd always... I'd uh, put me some to the side, and I'd put him some to the side as we cut it off the boards as it come through. That's what, that's what he was doing, so they could use pitch. But you, it was like a tar, like it, it was almost akin to asphalt, but he had to heat that up. Can you imagine working with that and all the, the physical demands that had to go into actually building the ark? So you think about these instructions that he followed. You know, we just think about God gave him instructions, so Noah built it. But what's the logistics of it? How, how did he do that? Was he superhuman? And he just went through there and took his hand, you know, I can chop a tree down with my hand. I don't think he did it that way. I think he figured out a way to do it. He hired help. He did whatever he needed to do to be able to do it. But I believe it had to be physically demanding on him. And I think part of that physical work while he was working, I'd say there was a time or two he wiped that brow and said, I, I don't know. I don't know about this. This is a pretty big task here. You ever done something that God asked you to do and it was a pretty big task and, and you had some doubts about it, but you still did it because God said to do it? I don't know what was going through. I have no idea what was going through his mind. But one thing I can feel confident about, I believe it was pretty physical, physically demanding. I, I, I believe there had to be some, some work to that. And I believe uh, there are times he may have got tired of it. I don't know, he may have, but I think that's something to think about. When we don't distance ourselves from Noah and we realize that we could make ourselves available and think, now, is God going to ask us to build an ark? No. There ain't going to be any need for it now. But there's a lot of things that God asks for us that, that we have to humble ourselves to do, and it could be very physically demanding to do it. There may be things that just need to be done, and we just got to knuckle down and do it and figure out a way to get it done. Another one, what about mentally challenging? Uh, I think it had to be mentally challenging. I think there'd have to be, um, now again, I don't know, and nobody else does either other than the, the biblical record we have. I don't know what other instructions that, that God gave Noah, but I, I would say he still had talents and mentally, there's a lot that he had to figure out that would involve engineering, that would involve mathematics, that would involve some knowledge of things. There's a lot that have to be figured out. Now, I'm not a person... I, I tell you, if God tapped me on the shoulder like this, the first thing would be out of my mouth, you're going to have to draw me a very specific 
instructions, and picture. I can't picture a thing in my mind. I, I do not have that ability. You can ask my wife. She comes up with a lot of ideas, and she says, we can just picture this, this, and this. I can't picture it. I draw a blank. I have no idea how something's going to look. I have to have specific instructions, put nail here, put screw here, cut board here. I can do that. I can follow instructions. Sometimes I wing it, I think, and do it myself, and it ends up wrong. But I can follow instructions. But I, I can't imagine just standing out there and saying, where do I start? <laughs> can you imagine that, that first start, that, that first day of starting that build, the... the the mental capacity of that, of, of the, the mental, of, of being just drained. I wouldn't know, I, I mean, I know God gave him instructions and God's behind it. Noah can't take all the credit here. God's, God's behind this. He's going to see that it's going to get done or he wouldn't ever task Noah with doing it. But from the physical side, the, the human side, the mental side, I, he's just a human. A human that's humbly following the instructions of God. How do you get that done? I think it would have to be mentally challenging. I think it'd be emotionally challenging. Out there working, your neighbor comes by, what are you building? You ever been working on something, your neighbor come by and ask you that? What are you doing? What are you building? Why? Why are you doing that? Why would you want to spend all your time, flood, what's a, what's a flood? When, when exactly is it going to start? Are you sure you really believe you're willing to work on this all this time for that? You know how much water it's going to take to get that off the ground? I'm sure he had to hear that every day. Every day. Like we talked about last night. I, I'd say he probably hired out help that didn't believe it and probably had to hear it from the help. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't there. You wasn't there. I don't know how it actually took place. But I know he was a preacher of righteousness. He had to, you know, tell them, this is what I believe. I, I, I'm doing this. I have faith in God. I've got the instruction from God to do it. It's, it's, it's not just something that, you know, he just thought up that he just haphazardly believed or Noah wouldn't have ever done it. Noah fully believed it. He was fully committed. I tell you, we may not building, uh, be building an ark, but we're building a life that's going to save us in eternity, and we better be fully committed to it. If we're, if we're not, then what's the use in doing it? You know, what, really, what, what's going to happen? We've got to be committed to know this is going to happen because God said it was going to. Even when the world tells us we're crazy. Haven't you got something better to do on Sunday? Fish is biting. Lake sure looks good right now. You know, this is going on, that's going on. I'm, I'm sure it had to be emotional. I, I, I don't know. I, like I say, I don't know everything that, that he had to face. But I say it had to be hard. I don't think it was an easy task. Now, there's a lot of things that he probably could have looked at. What if I cut a corner here? What does this really matter? What does this really matter? What if I'd, you know, kind of do it like this? That'd save me some time here. I could cut some corners here. Go back to basic training. You know, basic training. What was really the point of this or this or this? Because your life may depend on you following instructions. His life depended on it. He couldn't cut any corners. He had to do it just like God said. And I tell you, we can come up with a lot of things in the church, a lot of things in the church today. What's it matter? We can just do it like this. 
We can just do it like that, can't we? Does it really matter to God? Does it really matter? You know, how many times, how many times have you heard that when you're studying with someone? Does it really matter to God? Does it? Did any of this, all that instruction that we read a few moments ago, did any of that mean, it, mean anything to God? Every single word of it did. We don't have the right to compromise on it. We don't have the right to change it. Now, there's things that Noah had the right to do. We could get in a whole lesson on aids and additions. Noah could do anything that he could do to carry out God's command except change God's command. So he could use whatever tool he needed to use. He could use it in any way he needed to use it. As long as he carried out God's command as he said to do it and didn't change the command. Take, for example, a microphone. Well, where's your authority for a microphone? My, Sean, can you hear me back there in the back? <laughs> you got to say yes or my point's gone, son. <laughs> a microphone just allows someone in the back to hear it. Does it change anything? just makes it louder. There are things that can change worship, but there are things that just are a, a, a age to worship allows us to expediently carry out the command. Now, we can get a whole lesson of this, but the lesson's not about that. But the thing is, Noah had to follow God. And it had to be physically demanding, had to be mentally challenging, and I think it had to be emotionally taxing too. I, I think it just had, had, would have had to be. But the end result is still... Noah followed what God said to do. Now, what about some modern day examples? There's things that God asks us to do that's sometimes hard for us to do. It's challenging for a lot of different reasons for us to do. But there's reasons that God commands us to do it. Take, for example, giving generously and joyfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 9. The generously and joyful is the hard part, isn't it? I don't think giving's ever been a problem with anybody to a certain level. I think the joyful and generously is what gets the problems. Oh, I've got this I have to do. I, I need to keep up with this. I need to do this. And sometimes that's hard to follow that command. Sometimes we can get ourselves into situations where I, I, just, I just don't know if I've got it, to give, uh, give, you know, got it to give to God. I don't know if I've got this. But one, I always have to tell myself, who got myself in this financial situation, God or me? And the next thing is, none of that matters. What matters is what I give to God. Everything else is a side note. What matters is what I give to God, and I give it joy. I can't give it grudgingly, and sometimes that's hard to do. Sometimes it's difficult to do. Sometimes we may want to cut corners on that. Sometimes we may want to do things differently. But it's about following authority it's about humbling ourselves and doing exactly what God says to do. This is a tough one, isn't it? Withdrawing fellowship. I just tried to throw some hard ones up here. 1 Corinthians 5. That's got to be difficult. I've, I've, I've heard individuals say, well, that just doesn't work in the 21st century. That just doesn't work today. Really? God, God has set forth a, a, a plan, and you're saying that plan doesn't work. i tell you why the plan doesn't work. We don't do the plan like God said to do the plan. If we did the plan like God said to do it, it would work every single time. The purpose is to save a soul. And if we always keep that in mind and do it that way, the problem is either we don't want to ever do it or we want to skip the first few steps and go right to the other step. And just, you know, we, we just play on emotion and play on partiality depends on who it is. 
You know, sometimes we want to bring somebody in or bring somebody out or withdraw somebody or knock somebody off a list or do something because it's my preference to do it. It's never my preference to do it. It's never your preference to do it, is it? It's following what God said to do, and there's a reason to do it. And if we carry out that plan like God said to do it, it will work. There's evidence of it working. And God's ways not like our ways. He's a whole lot smarter than we are. Now, can it be difficult to do? Can it be emotional? Can it be draining to do it? Can it be hard to do it? Absolutely, it can be. But are we going to humble ourselves and follow God's authority and do what needs to be done when it needs to be done? Not based on what I think needs to be done. I tell you, if, if, if a lot of things was left up to me, it would be a whole lot different. You better be nice to me. <laughs> Out of here. I was reading a book one time. It was a congregation back in the... It wasn't a congregation of the Lord's Church, but it was a congregation... Uh, and it, it was the business meetings. A guy brought it to me, and uh, it was some of his ancestors. And it was, Sister so-and-so was seen out doing such-and-such. Such. She was brought before us, answer unsatisfactory, had a little stamp, excommunicated. Every business meeting was like that, every single one of them. So-and-so was seen doing this. They were questioned, excommunicated. I thought, man, alive. That must have been tough there. I wouldn't want to go out of the house. Somebody see me walking jaywalking or something, get excommunicated or something. You know what it was? it was? It was just about, this is what we feel or we think. It's got to be based on Scripture and based on what God says, not what I think. I have to take the emotion part. And we've got to do that a lot. We have to take the emotion side out sometimes to follow what God says thoroughly. And that may sound strange to do because what happens is, I'm all for what God says to do unless it affects me, my family, or someone that I care about. And then emotion starts taking over, right? And that could be a lot of different things. So we've got to make sure that we're following what God says. Keeping our language pure. This may not seem like a biggie, but it is a biggie. I know individuals say, language isn't an issue anymore. We don't, it doesn't matter. God doesn't care what you, what you say. We're the ones that make those words up. We're the ones that make them this way. And that's true. We do. We, we, we do make certain, certain words up. I know in uh, uh, different languages, certain words mean different things. But it's about what we're trying to do with those words. And sometimes we're just trying to get away with something, trying to justify something. Uh, but again, it's, it's humbling ourselves and following God. And that's just a few. Spreading the gospel. That may be hard to do. It may be challenging to do. But it's something we need to do. And we need to do it the way that God said to do it. Now, he left it up to us with tools how to do it. Can I do it from pulpit? Can I do it from in the aisle here? Can I do it out on the porch? Can I do it from a car? Can I do it, you know, a plane going to India? Can I do it from the radio? Can I do it, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can do it as long as we're spreading the gospel, doing it the way that he says to do it. That, again, is humbly following God. So let's look uh, for the last few minutes. Well, we've got about, well, about 10 more minutes. I think I can get this in, maybe. Look at Noah's faith. When it comes to faith, think about Noah. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heirs of the righteousness which is according to faith. And when you think about faith, I think what happens when the world defines faith, then faith loses its meaning. Let me show you what I'm talking about. If you look in the dictionary, in Webster's Night, 
New Collegiate Dictionary. It says, belief is a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. So if someone wanted to find faith, they go to the dictionary to find faith. You know what it says? It's something, uh, it's a firm belief in something, but there's no proof for it. You ever told someone, well, just sometimes you just got to have faith. You know, it, uh, there's no reason to it, there's no proof to it, but you just got to have faith. That's not what faith is. Faith isn't no proof. Faith isn't just something we do. But if you go to the dictionary, it say that. Also, it says that uh, it's a belief that does not rest on logical or material evidence. So that's what the world says faith is. Is that the kind of faith that Noah had? Did he have faith that was based on no proof? Did he have faith that was, uh, 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 wasn't based in any kind of logic? When they come and his neighbors come by and say, Why are you doing this? He said, Well, I know there's no logic to it. It doesn't make sense. I don't really, really believe it, but I ain't got nothing better to do anyway. So I'm going to do it. Was Noah crazy? Because that's what it boils down to. We're either lunatics. You know, that, that, uh, there's a book, I think, about Jesus on that. He was either, he's either Lord, lunatic, or a liar. Because if, he, if he's not Lord, then he was a lunatic and he was a liar, wouldn't he? That, that, that's what it really boils down to. So if he's our Lord, he's neither or the other. So we either have faith in what God says to do or we don't. No, either had faith or he didn't. He had biblical faith. He had the faith that he should have. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes before God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder that them that diligently seek after him. Do we believe that? It didn't say, Without faith you probably won't please God. It says it's impossible to please God. And Noah pleased God, and he did it because he had faith. Romans 1 and, 2, or 1 and 20, For since the creation of the world, his... Uh, uh, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, Noah had all the proof that he needed. He had proof that God said it, faith coming by hearing, hearing God's Word. So he had that, and he had faith in God, he had trust in God, he had confidence in God, and he could look around. He could see the, the, the condition of the world, if God told him, here's what mankind is doing, here's what I'm going to do, and that's why Noah could look around and see that. You don't think he could see how the world was? If every intent of a man's heart was evil continuously, you don't think he noticed that? Don't think he could see that? This wasn't just blind faith. This was logical. Now, there's things that with faith that may not make sense to the world, just like Jesus dying on the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us, it's eternal salvation. It may look like foolishness to the world, but it makes sense to us because we've got the proof. We know what that means, and we know what that can do. Genesis 6, 17. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Did Noah believe that? I think it's evident because he built the flood. Did he have faith in that? I think it's evident because he built the ark. Notice what's told to us today. The heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Do we believe that? Is that any different than what God told Noah other than one's fire and one's flood? So if we believe that, like Noah believed God in the flood, 
Would we live our life any different? Would we do anything any different? When the world asked us, why are we doing what we're doing? Are we going to tell them it's just something that we do? Do we truly believe that this is going to happen or not? I don't know when it's going to happen, but I have faith that it is, so I have to live ready for that, don't we? That's the kind of faith that Noah had. That's the kind of faith that we have to have. And I tell you, that, that it's not easy. It's good preacher talk. It's good preacher talk to get up here and say, well, this is what we have to do. But again, I think it's easy to distance ourselves from that. I think it's easy, just like if we distance ourselves from Noah and think Noah's some superhuman person and, and God you know, did superhuman things with him. and I, you know, we, we can put ourselves to the side and say, that's not me. God's not going to ask anything that great of me. And then we just kind of go through our life and we believe it, but how much do we truly believe it? We have faith in it, but how much do we truly have faith? Peter had faith when he was starting to sink in the sea, didn't he? he didn't, Jesus didn't say, O ye without faith, O ye what? Of little faith. He had faith, but not enough to keep him in the storm, stormy seas up on top. See, that's the thing. We've got to have enough faith where we stay up on top so we don't sink. But that means we have to believe this. Notice what Jesus said. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I use this a lot at funerals. I think most preachers do. But really think about what that's saying, the kind of faith we have to have. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe in Him. He said, my Father's house are many mansions where not so would have told you. He goes to prepare a place for us. Have you seen that place? Have you walked down the streets of gold? Have you walked down to a place that has no pain, no crying, no sorrow, no heartache? I've not been at that place. Does it exist? Are we going to it? Did He prepare it for us? See, that, we have to believe that. I've not physically seen it, but I believe it. He said, that's what you have to do. That's how your heart aren't, isn't troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In Father's house are many mansions. I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare that place, I'm coming back to get you for that place. But if I don't truly believe that place exists, I don't truly believe he was who he said he was, that's not the place I'm going because I don't truly believe it. But the question is, should we? So when we think about Noah, and just these last little closing things here, when we think about Noah, what do we think about? Do we think about the man or do we think of him as some mythical being? He was human. God gave him instruction. He was humble enough to follow that instruction, to follow that authority, despite what was going on around him, he still followed God. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, thus Noah did. You know, I, you think about, uh, I've thought about a lot, you know, I talked with several families, especially at the funeral home, I... Uh, participate in a lot of funerals for individuals 
that says they didn't have anybody do it. And I'll sit down and I'll talk with the family. And I used to say, what would you like me to say? And I don't say that anymore because there's things that I can't say maybe that they want me to say. But one thing that I've always thought about, what would I want said? What would you want said at your funeral? I think one of the greatest things that could be said is, thus Ronald did according to all that God commanded him, thus Ronald did. Wouldn't you want that said about you? I would want that said about me. I would want someone to think about the ages, you know, as they go through and, and hopefully after generation, generation, they, somebody may mention me or talk about me and, and say, you know, one thing about Ronald, here's what he did. Well, that'd be great. Didn't mean I was some perfect individual. I got a lot of flaws. If you don't believe me, I'm sure there's several people here you now if they can point them out to you. We all do, don't we? If we had to say that we were perfect, I know I could make a list that would fill up the ark of my flaws. But what would make me perfect? What would make me perfect is doing what God said. That would make me complete, thoroughly equipped to every good work. Now, remember, thoroughly equipped to every good work. Was Noah thoroughly equipped to do the good work God put before him? He was. And I think we can be too if we would just let God use us in that way. So as we continue to go through this week, I hope that we're, we studied last night the world, and as bad as it was at that time, but we see the glimmer of hope in Noah. We, we see a world today that's not that great. It's in darkness. But can we be that light? Can we be that light that shows what that way is? Even if people don't like it, we still need to let it shine. I hope that's what we can do, and I hope that's what we can learn the rest of this week. I appreciate you listening.